where we're at in this ongoing series. We're talking about spiritual gifts. Our definition we're working from is um, that these are abilities, both natural and supernatural, the Spirit uses for His glory and effective gospel ministry. That's all of the places in Scripture that it's at, so we're not going verse by verse through these as we typically would. There are the 23, 23-ish uh, gifts listed, and today we're going to hit on miracles, faith, knowledge, wisdom, tongues, and interpretation of tongues in that order. Uh, so we'll get to maybe some of the more mystical there at the end, but maybe some of the mystical right at the beginning. And again, we're just trying to see what does Scripture say? That's all we're trying to look at. We're not trying to enter into debates or anything like that. Uh, we're not even trying to make hardcore definitive stances. I, you know me. I will readily tell you here are both sides of the coin. Uh, and here's the middle ground. Some people agree with this. Some people don't. Here's their reasons. And we're just looking at that so that we can have a well-rounded perspective, again, of the Bible. Not what we think, but just the Bible. We want to be good biblicists at Safe Haven. So let's look at some of these, all right? You ready? Um, Miracles. Um, So this is a gift that is listed in the spiritual gifts list. And it's a gift that expresses, I would say, the fullness of God in a way that the other gifts just simply do not. Now, be careful with that. God always expresses himself through the gifts. But this one seems to be the one in which God just kind of flexes the most. Okay, so this gift is different than the gift of healing. You got to know that. Why? Because the gift of healing is another gift that's listed in the gifts lists. So they are distinct. Okay, so literally, the word said in in <clears throat> this Word, this, uh, this, the gift of miracles, is the working of dunamis. Now, that would be the Greek word. Now, a lot of you guys already know this. You've heard this. It's a fun, one of those fun Greek words. Take a wild guess as to what we get out of this word, dunamis or dynamis. Dynamite. Yeah, this is where our word dynamite comes from. So, literally, this gift is the working of an explosion if you will, of God's power. That's why I said maybe it's one that we see the fullness of God more than others. And in this gift, it reminds us that God is not bound by natural law. That's what this gift is all about. And so if you want to know somebody who worships science over Christianity, here's what you'll hear them say. God is bound by natural law and he cannot Uh, come over and above natural law. And that's kind of the worship of science, if you will. All right, so so there's a danger in this gift. Let's run through the dangers and let's run through the beauties as we've been doing through all of these. The danger is an argument can be made that this gift is ceased with the cessation of the apostles. Because there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians that says that the apostles were affirmed by the working of miracles. So they would work a miracle, and that would affirm their apostleship. So there can be a debate made there. But those who argue that point are very quick to say that miracles still exist, even though the office of miracle doesn't exist. So that's the tension there. And so my question would be, why are we making a distinction? And I think that may be an implication of a misunderstanding of what the gift is in general when we start to say things like, the office, or, or the office, the gift doesn't exist, but miracles don't exist. 
I think the misunderstanding is that the miracle is attached to a specific person as if they're walking around with a superpower and just kind of can zap miracles as they will. I think that's where the misunderstanding comes from. But the implication being that this gift kind of remains on a person, I think is part of that misunderstanding, rather than something that just happens occasionally through the life of a person. A great example of this, and this danger can be seen this past year. Did you guys check out what happened at Bethel Church with the dying of that two-year-old boy? Are you familiar with this? So at Bethel Church, um, there was a a passing of a two-year-old boy... And the entire church began demanding that God would raise this two-year-old boy from the dead. Um, So much so they began to have seances. I would call it a seance. They would not. They would say worship service. Um, But seances around the grave. And and we're literally demanding. um, And we have to raise $100,000 to make this happen. And just all this bizarro stuff. This is where it gets dangerous. When we begin to demand God does anything, we don't understand the power of God working, nor do we understand the God we're demanding anything of. He's God, we're not. We can demand nothing of Him. And so in this moment, Christianity gets a black eye. So that's where I think this this gift could go bad. But now, now let's look at the flip side. What is the beauty of this spiritual gift? I'd say this. When it's seen as occasional and circumstantial then we do understand that sometimes God lets some people serve as a channel for His miraculous explosion of power. Um, With that said, in the Bible we see this in the form of casting out demons, um, a man surviving in the belly of a whale. That's pretty miraculous, right? Uh, Jesus, for instance, said as Jonah survived, Jesus believed this occurred. This is a miraculous moment. Um, we see axe heads floating in water. Um, we, my favorite miracle that is a non-healing miracle is when a group of boys came up to Elijah and started mocking him. Y'all remember this? And they said, you bald head, you bald head. And then he calls out two bears and they come and kill the boys. That's a cool miracle. I, all the bald-headed brothers in this room, and I think I may be the only one. All right, Austin. <laughs> we love this. So this is just kind of this miraculous moment, right? So here's the deal. James five seventeen is also a beauty of this. It's the passage that says, Elijah prayed for no rain, and no rain occurred. And then Elijah prayed that rain would fall from heaven, and it did occur. And then it's got this little phrase, and it said, And Elijah was a man... With a nature just like ours. And I think that's the expression of the gift. There was nothing special about Elijah in and of himself, but at various times, God just chose to do things through him. And I think that certainly fits with us today. This can also be very beautiful in the sense that it's very evangelistic. When there is no other explanation for something that occurs and God alone gets the glory, Man, that is a reason to praise the Lord. Uh, And and so I'm convinced also that you'd never even know people who experience this more often than others. And so if you're in this room and you've experienced this on a multifaceted level, there's a good chance that you never talk about it. And the reason is, is because you don't want to receive any of the glory. Another instance being Elisha. 
Elisha and Elijah, or actually it was Elijah, after he uh, prayed for the fire to come down from heaven. The very moment that occurs, he sees a grand miracle, and the very next scene in the Bible is Elijah doing what? Does anybody remember? He goes and hides in a cave. He retreats, and I think that's probably the nature of people who experience this a lot of times. Um, So with this said, these people are so super sensitive that the Lord gets all the glory, that they back themselves away, and they'll never accept somebody saying, well, that was just happenstance, or that was fate, or an angel caused that to happen. They will always fight for, we should worship the Lord because we saw this. That being the spiritual gift of miracles. Side note, if you have that gift, I would love to talk to you after the service. Um, With that said, miracles, we're going to move on to the next one in the gifts list, a word of wisdom. Now, these can be a little bit confused when you start talking about the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. These are the spiritual gifts listed. They do sound similar, but they're not the same. They're listed totally different. This is a gift that I'm saying needs no degree because it's a moment of wisdom that just kind of comes beyond what's natural. Um, it's an instance where knowledge just seems to fit the need of the moment. Have you ever said that? Somebody said something to you and you said, whoa, that just seemed to fit the need of the moment. Well, I think some people, by God's grace, have the knack of doing that more often than other people. <clears throat> this is said to be used for the common good, um, so it can't be something that causes division. And that's where I think the danger of this gift can come in. The danger of the word of wisdom or somebody who just always seems to have a knack for words that fit the need of the moment is that this can deny the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture if we're not careful. In 2 Peter, we're told that by God's grace, He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through the Scriptures. So one who can... Keep saying, well, I've got this word, I've got this word, I've got this word. Well, do you have the word or does the word have the word? And that's where it can get very iffy. Where is the sufficiency in life? And so what happens when you have conflicting words of the Lord can also be a danger of this. So Scott comes up to me and says, hey, man, I've got a word of the Lord, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, Sam comes up to me and says, well, I've got another word from the Lord. And then Chris says, well, I've got a word from the Lord. And they're all contradictory. Well, who do we go to? <laughs> right? So this can where, is where this gift can get super dangerous. And in that, it can be used as a power gain or influence over people. I have a word of the Lord for you. And then you're left going, why didn't the Lord talk to me? <laughs> Right? Instead of you. And so this is where this can get dangerous. Now the beauty of this can be um, when something is spoken and you can just feel the impact. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord has spoken. This is where this beauty can come in. It's the knack for knowing what to do in a certain situation. Maybe when you didn't know what to do. And this word of wisdom just occurs. And so... How this fleshes itself out is in difficult and dangerous situations pop up and we go, what do we do? I don't know what to do in this situation. And you don't want the situation to explode in general. And you certainly don't want the situation to backfire on gospel community itself. You don't want it to be a black eye. And you're going, God, I don't know what to do and I don't want it to explode. And I don't want it to hurt God's gospel witness. And so what do I do? And in this moment, somebody speaks something that just defuses the situation altogether. It's a gift. 
I, I hope you've seen this happen. And a lot of times when it happens, it's kind of that aha moment. Now on the screen, I had no idea how to spell aha. I did the best I could. All right. So if there's a better way to spell it, let me know. But it's that moment that the light bulb clicks and you're like, how could I not have seen that? It's just God in certain moments chooses to grant that word of wisdom to someone. So sometimes, yes, it is the lady in the room who is well studied and well versed. And then sometimes it's just the guy who was cutting grass. There's no rhyme or reason other than God's sovereignty to give this word of wisdom. Word of knowledge will be the next one we're going to look at, which is similar to it, but it is different in this sense. It is a gift that does indeed take effort. So if you're wondering what the difference is between word of wisdom and word of knowledge, one doesn't take effort, one does take effort. Wisdom just kind of comes. Knowledge is one that specifically is required effort. Um, So with that said, the Spirit unlocks through divine insight the studying of, of one. So on any given Sunday or community group, this gift is being flexed by some and not by others. And you usually can tell with the donut glaze in somebody's eyes. So as I look out, there are some who have donut glaze. And you're like, when are we going to get to Colossians or something else, blah, blah, blah. And then there are other people who lean in and they're just, you're chewing in. And it's, it's just something that you, you, you crave and you don't even know why you crave. I just want to know. I want to know more. And this is where this gift kind of comes in. Let's look at the danger real, real quick and I'll explain its beauty. The danger is that this gift can absolutely lead to heresy in the truest sense of the word heretic. Um, as my professor at University of Mobile would say this, Troy, if you are ever studying scripture and you decide that you've seen something that no one else has ever seen before, you are a heretic, right? Because there's nothing new in scripture. God has clearly revealed it that we can all see the words and the intent that he has. And the word knowledge itself is the word gnosis, which is where Gnosticism comes from. And entire books of the Bible were written against Gnosticism like the book of Galatians. You know that you know the Lord by trusting in Jesus, not that you've become a monk and got a higher knowledge that has freed you unto the Lord. So this is where this danger can come in. So one who knows God through a personal relationship versus one who kind of goes and gets in the Zen position. I was going to try to do it here, and then I remembered there's no way that's possible with only two legs. Cross the legs and, and kind of begin to hum and get this mystical whatever. That's Gnosticism. This is not what this is talking about. All right. But there is a beauty in this. There's a beauty to a higher, deeper gnosis or knowledge. That being this, it leads to understanding of events, both past, present, and future, in new and real ways. And that way it's similar to the gift of knowledge or the gift of wisdom, I'm sorry. But information is needed for life, for family, for church, for work. And I think a phrase that I heard this past week, it might have been two weeks ago, that I really think fits this gift. There was a guy talking about his workplace. And he says, in any given meeting, there are 12 people required to come. All of them have the same agenda... And only 11 of them show up having studied the materials that they had beforehand. 
And I resolved to be the one person that knew what was going on. I think that's a good quote. And that fits somebody with this gift of knowledge. They, they want to know. They want to study. They don't want to show up unprepared. They're, they're diving in and God uses that for their benefit, for their family's benefit, for the benefit of others around them. And in the church, they use it for the, the furthering of God's kingdom through the church. And this would be this word of knowledge. And so if you're one in the room who goes, I don't have that gift. <laughs> well, good. Then there's something else that God has for you. But I want to speak to the person who does have this gift. Because you are typically the one who goes, I don't know where my gift really fits in. Everybody thinks I'm a nerd or I'm a goody-goody. Let me say something to you. The Bible calls you a Berean. And the Bereans were encouraged. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 17, it was said of the Bereans that they were given the scriptures and... Not only did they eagerly study, but they greatly eagerly studied the scriptures that were given to them. You have a gift. Don't downplay it. Press in and study more. And so our faith is a reasonable faith. And so the way that this fleshes itself out best, in my opinion, is that uh, these people usually become great apologists, meaning they can defend the scriptures. And in the world, we need people who can defend the Scriptures rightly. I love it when somebody has a great argument and everybody's championing. Yeah, it's, it's the college professor who says, I've got a question no Christian can answer. And they're just proud and boastful. And all of a sudden, there's a, an 18-year-old who goes, I have an answer. <laughs> and they give that answer, and it's a strong defense. And the professor goes, well, then, if you believe that, you're just dumb because they don't know what to say. Our faith is not a blind faith. We have a reasonable faith and reason to believe what we believe. And people with this gift are people, champions, that the Lord uses. And oddly, they sometimes like pocket protectors and pins in their pockets as well. Word of faith would be the next gift. A word of faith would be a gift that I would say is different than saving faith. It's the sudden ability to confidently believe and lead others to the same without doubt in the midst of confusion. Everybody's confused, but the person with the word of faith seems to bring everybody else calm in the room. It's a neat, neat, neat gift. Now the danger. The danger of the word of faith gift, and let's be clear, because some of you guys have heard word of faith in the weird sense. Um, This is not what we're talking about, that you can just demand that God do something. It's the name it, claim it. This is not how this gift fleshes itself out. But in in the dangerous sense, what happens is word of faith puts God in a formula. If I do A, then God has to do B. If I pray, then God has to. If I fast, then God has to. If I do this, then God has to. Or, if we're not careful, here's how it works out in our own life. God, I will quit doing this if you do that. Anybody else ever done that? Right? I'll quit. Insert the blank. And so this is kind of this bargaining with God. This is not, this is the danger of this gift if we're not careful. And the focus can quickly shift on God's hands and the work of his hands rather than seeking the face of God altogether. All right? So when it is the work of his hands, 
Our faith begins to hinge on whether or not he answers our questions. If we express faith, and if you answer it, then I'll believe. If you don't answer it, then I won't believe. And it's, it can be very dangerous for entire communities. I could give you a great example of something that happened right around here about five years ago. But I'll save that for when you invite me to lunch and we, you want to talk about this in more depth. <clears throat> With that said, what I'm trying to get it off is when God pulls this off, people have great faith. I've done well, God's done well, the rabbit's foot worked, and, and God is just reduced to this rabbit's foot. He's a lucky rabbit's foot. He's a lucky horseshoe. My word of faith is God will pull this off, and he did, so I believe in him. That's when it gets super dangerous. Or he doesn't pull it off again, and it's blamed on their lack of faith, or our lack of faith, or whatever it is. God's not there, he's not good, blah, blah, blah. Now the beauty. What could possibly be the beauty of this gift? Well, when the faith is in God himself and not the work of his hands, then we have a higher understanding of God's goodness. And so my faith is God is good whether he does what I want him to do or not want him to do. Therefore, God gets all the glory in all circumstances. That's when it's beautiful because that's what worship is. Worship is when it... Our worship of him doesn't terminate on what he does, but who he is. That's when word of faith is good. So faith is not... Be careful about this and I'll keep going. Faith is not when God takes your dreams and makes them reality. That is a direct quote from somebody very prominent... And if it's said out loud, I want to give an opposite defense of what it's not out loud. So it has been said, faith is when God takes our dreams and makes them reality. And the whole auditorium begins to clap. Yay! That is a horrific definition of faith. Right? Faith is not when God takes your dreams and makes them reality. Faith is... I trust God whether he does what I want him to do or not do what I want to do because I trust God. It has nothing to do with your dreams and everything to do with his reality. That's what faith is. And let's be very careful about that. Faith is when God does what he wants to do and we trust that he's right in whatever he does. That's faith. So we have faith... And we say, God, I'm asking you to heal my mom of breast cancer. And he heals her. And you go, yes! And faith is when I say, God, I'm asking you to heal my mom of breast cancer. And he says, I'm not going to do it. And we go, I'm asking. I'm not going to have because I didn't ask. But I'm trusting even when you say no. That grows our faith in Him. That grows our faith in His sovereignty. And He ultimately receives the glory in both situations. So in other words, faith is less about us forcing God's hand and more about Him molding our hearts. That's what faith is all about. And so when that happens, it produces an unshakable confidence in God. Again... Not what God does or what he doesn't do, but in him. He's good. 
He's glorious no matter the situation. In all things, he's working for our good and for his glory. And so this is beautiful uh, because it watches God do what only he can do in the midst of the impossible. And this births assurance in the believer. And I would ultimately say at least salvation and sanctification both. More importantly, probably the latter in the fact uh, that if we're already believers, then what we need is to grow in sanctification, that being our trust in God altogether. So hopefully that makes some more sense of the word of faith. Again, I'll be uh, more than happy to clarify that with you. Now, you ready for the big one? <laughs> Julia's shaking her head no. Um, here we go. So let's look at the gift of tongues as we wrap up today, our Mother's Day time together. Let's look at the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. I think you've got to join these two together because I frankly don't think biblically you can separate them. Um, so with that said, tongues, I would say, is the most talked about spiritual gift, definitely. Just for fun, when, when, when I said to you, hey, we're going to do a mini-series on spiritual gifts before we go through Colossians, did anybody in the room think, oh, we're going to talk about tongues? Did anybody? Okay, good, good. It's just that it's the most talked about, and I'm not sure why, but it is nonetheless. Definition of tongues would be this. It's a language that is not naturally acquired or rather known or unknown. Uh, so, so maybe to explain that, it's a language uh, maybe in the sense of a true uh, glossa being the word language like English, Spanish, whatever, that you haven't previously known. And it could also be interpreted as just an unknown language to anyone. Altogether, uh, So in Scripture, these are always seen as a means of worship. In Jude chapter 1, which there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse 20, um, it's seen as a means of evangelism to unbelievers in 1 Corinthians 14. It's seen as a means of instruction to the churches in 1 Corinthians 14 as well. So that would be what the gift of tongues is, this language. The interpretation of tongues is always tied to it because Paul said you can't have one without the other. It's the, it's the most clearly defined of spiritual gifts because it literally means to be a translator. So the gift of tongues is this language. The gift of interpretation is the translation of that language. Um, so if uh, <clears throat> tongues are not active, then this gift certainly is not active as well because there's no need for interpretation of something that doesn't exist. So like tongues, it is the translation of a language that is not naturally acquired um, or it's, it's just the reporting of the church or to the church this teaching that was previously not known in a spoken unknown tongue. That's how Wayne Grudem defines it. All right, so let's take the two together. Now, here's the danger in this. The danger in this spiritual gift is Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let all things in the church be done decently and in order. And when this gift is most often exercised in a gathered body, it is utter chaos, which doesn't seem to fit with Paul's instruction about this tongue. <clears throat> Paul also says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches in 1 Corinthians 14. And so if you walk into a gathering and there's just bonkers going on, then that seems to be confusing and unpeaceful. So that could be a danger in this as well. Paul also says about this gift, In church, I would rather speak five intelligible words rather than instructing 10,000 words in a tongue. 
And so this most talked about gift is often elevated as the end-all be-all. And Paul says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words that I don't know. So that should give us an understanding of maybe how this gift is supposed to flesh itself out. Another danger is that a hierarchy is created at best and a complete dichotomy is created at worst. Let me explain that. In places where this is super flexed often... Um, there's a hierarchy created in the sense of the great mature believers have this gift. If you don't have it, then you're way down on the totem pole. The dichotomy at the Nux level says this, and there are churches who believe this, lots of them, that if you do not have this gift, then you also do not have what? Salvation. Altogether. So it becomes this expression of you have to have it to be saved, therefore it becomes a work, and we have to say no to any form of work for salvation. So this is where the danger can become, a necessary evidence of salvation or greater maturity. So therefore mankind is always getting the glory in those situations. But the beauty, where would the beauty fit in these gifts? Acts chapter 2, I think, is an example of the beauty in verse 11. It's the first time when we see the gift of tongues fall. And Paul says, uh, Paul and Peter and all these guys are saying, here's what went on, that we heard uh, the declaring of God in our own language, is what people begin to say. In other words, there was a group of people together. They spoke from various languages, not Spanish, but Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and all these other things. They're all gathered together. And then all of a sudden, they begin hearing the message of the Lord all in one language. It was spoken in their language simultaneously. Now that could be an awesome experience, right? So personally, the most that I've heard this, or the most oftentimes I've heard this, is in terms of missionaries. Um, and I am your Southern Baptist poster child growing up. My undergrad's in Southern Baptist. My master's is a Southern Baptist seminary, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I get it. And a lot of times in the Southern Baptist churches that I grew up in, this was belittled. Um, it was mocked even. And then I get to seminary and I have these professors going, oh, I've definitely heard this. Um, we were on this mission field and this occurred and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going... Really? Like this could really be a thing. Um, And so this is how this would flex itself out in missionary endeavors. Um, But with that said, it's always met with interpreters. And these interpreters speak um, and they share what was happening. Uh, And so this gift flexes with someone who interprets simultaneously or the people begin to interpret on their own. So somebody begins sharing the gospel and all of a sudden... They're able to speak in this language. Or they're speaking their own language and everybody understands what they're saying. This is how this gift would flex itself out. And now that's one of the beauties. And then let me give you the other beauty as we wrap up our time today. 1 Corinthians 14. Paul does say, For if I pray in tongues. This is a whole different understanding of the gift of tongues. My spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So this seems to be a gift that's different than the public exercise of tongues, but a private exercise of tongues. When someone begins praying, and it's a deep moment of prayer, and they begin to pray words that they themselves don't even understand. And you would go, okay, how would that even work? It sounds a lot like Romans 8, 26. 
when Paul says this, The Spirit prays for you in groanings deeper than words. So in this instance, the prayer may not even pray what they're praying, but they are saying, I don't even know what to pray, and this is just what comes out during this prayer time, and God does with it whatever He wants to do with it. Tried to answer your question before you ask it. Well, why would that be of any benefit? To which I say, and Paul says, I don't know. It's just a groaning deeper than words. And so the question of this would be, has that gift ceased? Some would say with the perfect coming of Scripture, there's no need for that gift. Others would say the perfect that's talked about in Scripture when it comes is the actual second coming of Christ. Where does Troy stand? I would say we have to end our time today. Happy Mother's Day. There's a table back there for all you mothers for some treats. Uh, That's all we got. Hopefully these gifts made a little bit more sense to you. The band's coming back up. And now you have a lot to talk about at your Mother's Day lunches. Um, I want you to remember this. Um, I know this is a lot, and we're going through this at a very rapid pace. But I do hope. I hope that as we've chewed through this, it's caused you to think. I hope it's caused you to wrestle. I hope you've gone, I don't know if I know, I don't even know if I know what that gift is, or maybe that exists, or I definitely see that. My question is to you the exact same as the beginning. Not do you understand all of the spiritual gifts. My question is, are you willing to use your gift for Christ's glory through the spreading of the gospel? That's the most important part. Let me pray for us, and we're going to be done with our time today. Uh, Lord Jesus, I don't know, in a, I guess in a weird way, God, I <laughs> thank you for Mother's Day and spiritual gifts simultaneously. and very much see how mothering itself is a gift and how that can be used for gospel purposes and intent and certainly am thankful for my mother and how that worked itself out in my life. So whether it's mothering, whether it's tongues, whether it's faith, whether it's knowledge, whether it's wisdom, whether it's teaching, whatever it is, We just want to be a people used for your glory. So shake us up with this series and force us to get in the game rather than sitting on the bench. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.